0: Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Jeremiah is saying this as he he quotes God here. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Let's pray together. Father, for these words, I pray that through your spirit, you would teach us and open our hearts to what you want us to know today. Help us to have gratitude unending for your goodness in Christ, and we pray, amen. You may be seated. Before we get to the message this morning, I wanna share with you the bad doctrine of the week. I haven't done that lately. And so here's some bad doctrine of the week. I came across an article this week that made me mad, and so you get to hear about it. Um, It was written by a Jewish American entitled, again, it's a Jewish American entitled, Why It's Okay for Jews to Celebrate Christmas. Her name was Charlotte Atler, Alter, Alter. I wanna give her full credit. She said this, Every year, just as I'm getting into the swing of my falla la la -la las and rum-dum-dums, some spoiled sport decides to remind me that I'm Jewish. (laughs) Like I got hit on the head with a candy cane and didn't know. Aren't you Jewish, people say? Shouldn't you be celebrating Hanukkah, the sacred festival of lights consistent with your Hebrew heritage? First, mind your own business and leave my gingerbread house alone. Second, (laughs) it's okay for Jews to celebrate Christmas. (laughs) Let me say that again. She says, it's okay for Jews to celebrate Christmas. Now there's a problem with those Jews or there's a problem with Christmas, one or the other, if not both. For many people, she goes on to say, Christmas is more about Santa than Jesus anyway. Yeah. Besides, if Santa were Jewish, he would be the only Jew, he wouldn't be the only Jew in the Christmas pantheon. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were all Jewish. What's wrong with celebrating the birthday of the most famous Jew ever to walk the earth? Now, technically she's right. Jesus was the most famous Jew ever to walk the earth. If she's talking about Jesus and not Santa, it's hard to tell from the context. Besides, she says, tons of Jews are already celebrating Christmas anyway. According to a Pew survey from the Religion and Public Life Project, 32% of Jews, have, that's almost a third, have a Christmas tree in their homes. A third of all Jews in America have Christmas trees in their homes, and 71% of Jews married to non-Jews have a tree. And think of the children. On Hanukkah, kids get presents from their parents on a, in a slow, judicious, eight-day drip. On Christmas, kids get their presents delivered all at once by a psychic, cookie-loving, reindeer-riding celebrity, Santa. And that's the bad doctrine of the week. (laughs) If there's no difference between the way you celebrate Christmas and a Jew celebrates Christmas, somebody's messed up and it's probably both of us. Okay? All right, I'll get to that in the weeks to come. This morning's message is entitled The Blessings of a Gracious God part two. I hope you were here last week as we celebrated Thanksgiving or began that celebration and I chose Psalm 103 and I mentioned to you that Psalm 103 is just impossible to get through in one week. The blessings that are there that are listed and there are six of them in just verse one through five uh, were too numerous for one day so I did three last week and I shared with you we would look at the other three this week. So last week we saw the first three benefits that God forgives, he heals, and he redeems our life from the pit. He forgives, he heals, and he redeems our life from the pit. With that, let's go ahead and look at Psalm 103. We're gonna see verse one through five here. As David, the psalmist says this, praise the Lord, O my soul, O my inmost being. Wow, makes me wanna pray again. (laughs) That's a great passage. I do wanna mention a couple things just briefly before we get into the final three points today that he makes. First, as we move forward today with this message, I want us to focus on just that, moving forward today. This passage is all about forward thinking. God forgives our sins. The sins are done in the past, but the forgiveness is for now and for all time in the future. By the blood of Christ, that is exactly where our sins belong in the past, not the future. The guilt, the anxiety, the fear, and the insecurity caused by our sins, it all needs to go away because our sins are in the past, We need to forget them, let it go, and move on with our life. God wants us to do that. Satan doesn't want that for you, by the way. He wants us to continue to be shackled by old sins. Insecure about old sins, fearful about old sins. He wants to remind us about old sins and old failures in our life constantly. He will do it forever if we let him. And so, as I told you last week, the very first benefit he talks about, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sins, the first one he mentions is forgiveness. He wants us to get that settled in our mind and in our heart and our spirit first and foremost. Because if you and I proceed through life as though there is no forgiveness of our sins, we are shackled. God knows it and Satan knows it. So that's the first thing we need to think about. Secondly, and by the way, Jesus did not die so that we can wallow in the pit of our sins over and over again. We've been redeemed, we've been forgiven, so release that sin to God and don't dwell on it again. If you do, you'll be back in that pit again all too soon. Secondly, I learned this passage as a kid from King James Version, because when I was a kid, I'm so old, and I know to some of you I'm not old at all, but. I'm old enough so that when I was a kid, there was only King James. That's how old I am. There was only King James. My first Bible was the King James because that's all there was. There may have been one or two other translations, but mostly we just use King James. And in the King James, fine translation by the way, I use NIV now just because it's simple and easy to understand. Generally, I like the translation. There are other translations that are fine translations as well. There are translations I'm not so fond of and paraphrases that I'm not so fond of, but I use the NIV because the NIV came out, this very Bible I've told you before came out, uh, I bought this in about 1977, 78, had it rebound, but uh, the Bible itself is from the mid late 70s because it was King James or most people got King James or the, the new translation which was NIV. But King James, I really like how it says this passage, and if you have a King James Bible, you know what it says right here. Instead of praise the Lord, O my soul, it says what? Bless, he uses the word bless. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now why bless or bless? or uh, praise. What's the difference? Well, it's actually the same word and that word means the same thing. Uh, It can mean either, both are great translations, but I I, I need to mention that because I think it's important. The Hebrew word actually is the word Barakai. Now, I like that word. It means both to praise and to bless. It also means, because I looked it up, it means to kneel down and to think. It means to bless, to, th- to praise, to kneel down, that is to worship, and to think. Interestingly, there is a place in the Philippines called Barakai. I don't know if it comes from this Hebrew word or if it's from a Filipino word. I don't know, but it's exactly the same name. And Barakai, I went there this last year, is one of the most beautiful places on earth white sandy beaches, and water so blue it looks like it was dyed at Six Flags. It doesn't even look real. It's just stunning, beautiful place, Barakai. That's a beautiful name and it means beautiful things. It means both praise and blessing. So that brings us to a question. How can we bless God? We usually think of Thanksgiving as a time when we consider how God has blessed us, but did you know that we can bless God? How? Well, with praise, submission, and thanksgiving, all of which are definitions of this one beautiful word, Barakai. So today, in addition to the fact that God forgives, He heals, and He redeems our life from the pit, We're now gonna look at the other three things that he mentions in our passage. If you look in verse four, he says, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Now, whatever, whatever he says about love and compassion, it is interesting to know that when God redeems us from the pit, and I told you David said in another passage, he puts my feet on firm ground. He, he pulls me out of the slimy pit, he says, and puts my feet on firm ground. That's right, Ooh, But he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. It's not that God just gives you the strength to survive and that's it. He says he redeems our life from the pit and goes way beyond redemption here and he crowns us with love and compassion. Now David wrote this. David knew what it was like to be crowned. He was king. He knew the feeling, literally the feeling of a crown being placed on his head. He knew the symbolism. He knew the significance of being crowned. He of all people in the kingdom knew that sensation. The only one that had ever had a crown placed on his head And when that crown was placed on his head for the first time, after, as you remember, a decade of running and hiding from King Saul, living in caves, fighting fights, after all that challenge, he was battle-weary. He had battle scars all over him, no doubt, already at this point. And after all that fighting and running and hiding, he lived with the enemy, the Philistines, for years just to stay out of the territory that Saul had control over. And after all of that, putting up with so much, finally, he's standing up in front of all the people and a crown is being placed on his head. But David says there's something better than that physical crown. That crown is made with precious metals and precious stones, but he says there's another crown, a better crown that comes from God. God crowns us with love and compassion. It is our divining characteristic. It means that we are are connected to God. We We are carrying upon us the very glory of God and the characteristics of God. So he uses that experience of being crowned to compare it to God's relationship to us, that God crowns us. Listen, God crowns you with love and compassion. Of course, it's no accident that Jesus wore a crown on the day he died. It was a different kind of crown A crown of thorns. It was pressed down into his brow and into his scalp and caused no doubt more than a little bit of bleeding to go down his face constantly throughout the crucifixion. As hideous as it was and cruel as it was, it is interesting that he had a crown on when he died. It is appropriate that Jesus should wear a crown and that particular crown is a description of your sins and my sins, the pain that was inflicted on him because of our sins. And so it made a fitting parallel, but I don't think that was an accident. It certainly refers to the pain and death caused by our sins, but it's also a symbol of Christ's love and compassion bestowed on us even though it's a thousand years after David writes Psalm 103, we see a crown that denotes love and compassion. That great hymn that says, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king. Throughout all eternity. So again, how does David describe that crown in verse 4? A crown of love and compassion. Because we've been created in the image of God, you and I certainly have the ability to bestow love and compassion on others. But the love and compassion in Psalm 103 isn't our love. It isn't our compassion. It's talking about God's love and God's compassion that crown us. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse three, Jeremiah says, and this was our passage for the day, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. Now you have to understand the context and know how profound and beautiful these words are. Jeremiah lived in the lowest point in the history of Israel. They had forsaken their God. Generation after generation, they had embraced false gods and they had foreign idols all over the place in their country. And even in Jerusalem, there had been foreign idols placed in the temple, Solomon's temple. And God said, I'm done. I've had it. But even in the midst of his judgment, he gave them one last chance through the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah prophesied the words of God And God said, if you don't repent, I'm going to wipe you all out. I'm going to destroy everything. They laughed at Jeremiah's words. The king tore his words up right in his presence, mocked him, put him in stocks, and everybody made fun of him. So Jeremiah was there. This wasn't a thousand year prophecy or a 200 year prophecy. It was a prophecy that that would be fulfilled in a matter of weeks or months or a few years. And Jeremiah would live to see the devastation that he didn't want to see and longed not to see and tried to prevent. He saw Nebuchadnezzar's army come in and knock down the walls of Jerusalem, destroy the gates. He saw them burn it all to the ground. He saw them go to Solomon's magnificent temple and take all the gold and all the treasury out and haul it off back to Babylon. And then they took that magnificent wonder of the world, Solomon's temple, and they raised it to the ground, destroyed every stone, every part of it. Every piece of wood was burned. You could not even tell there was a temple that had ever been there. And Jeremiah saw that. He saw men, women, and children murdered in front of him. He saw men, women, and children shackled or tied and taken back to Babylon as slaves, most of them. And he was left there amidst the ruins and the destruction. And even in the midst of this, Jeremiah shares this in chapter 31. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you. Now, he talks about the past. He uses the word past. He says, I remember the day when my God loved us. Just like if you're in a marriage that's loveless and you look back and you say, I remember the day we got married. I remember when we were first dating one another and we were in love. I remember those days, but it's not like that anymore. That's not what Jeremiah says. He says, I remember that God loved us in the past. I remember, but God loved us with an everlasting love. He says, God started loving us in the past. That's past tense. But the kind of love that God has for us never stops. Even now in his judgment of Jerusalem, God still loves his people. Jeremiah says, and there will come a day in the future when God will continue to bestow his love on his people forever and ever. It's everlasting it never stops. To this day, God still loves his people because Jeremiah was right when he quoted God. Again, he's quoting God directly. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. In one of the great evangelists, Dr. Wilbur Chapman's meetings, he was a great evangelist of the 18th and 19th century. He said a man rose in one of his evangelistic campaigns and he gave a remarkable testimony. This man said this, I got off at the Pennsylvania Depot one day as a bum. For a year, I begged on the streets for a living. One day, I touched a man on the shoulder as he was begging. He said, Mr., please give me some money so I can have something to eat. As soon as I saw his face, I recognized him as my own father. Father, don't, don't you know me? I asked. Throwing his arms around me, he cried, I found you. I found you. All I have is yours. Now think of it, he said. That I, a tramp, stood begging my father for a few cents when for 18 years he had been looking for me to give me all that he was worth. How similar is the loving kindness of our Heavenly Father? God loves you and it is your crown. Don't ever forget that. The famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon visited a farm and noticed that the weather vane, remember when farms had weather vanes, remember that? The wind blows them, and you can tell that's the direction of the wind. Now we just let Google tell us. (laughs) But his weather vane was made up from the words, God is love. So he asked the farmer, does this mean that God's love is as fickle as the wind? No, replied the farmer. On the contrary, no matter which way the wind may be blowing, God still loves us. (laughs) And that's the love of God. By the way, crowning us reflects on him. God crams his people with love and kindness because his people reflect on him. This world, the only knowledge and understanding they have from, of God is through you and me, his people. <laughs> A wealthy English merchant who lived in the European continent was satisfied with nothing but the best. This is a long time ago, and i warn you ahead of time, I'm about to tell a car story. I love car stories, and so may I've sh- maybe I've shared this with you before. But he lived in Europe, and he had a very, very expensive car. He had a Rolls Royce. Yeah, nice, nice, sweet, sweet deal. And today, whatever that Rolls-Royce was would really be worth a fortune. And he was driving down a bumpy road one day and hit a pothole and it broke the back axle on his car. And so the owner of the car had had the car shipped back to the Rolls-Royce plant in England and was surprised by the quick repair that was performed. He received no bill from the Rolls-Royce factory for the work knowing even though he knew his warranty had run out and he had expected to get a bill. He waited for months and still no bill came so he finally communicated with the company about the bill for his car repairs. Again, the response from the factory was immediate. The factory said this, we have thoroughly searched our files and find no record of a Rolls-Royce axle ever breaking. This is a case where the integrity and excellence of that company would not permit a flaw in workmanship or materials to ever be made known. They wouldn't even admit it. they just fix it, fix it for free. Oh, I wish Chevy would do that. <laughs> you know, we have a Tahoe, and our Tahoe, uh, this is another, I'm rambling now. Our Tahoe has a a plastic dash because all Tahoe's had plastic dash. If you have a Silverado or anything, they all had the same dash from 2007 to about 2014 and that dash was paper thin and it cracked in every car. I think, if you're watching Chevy and you're not, If Chevy has any pride at all, they ought to send me a new dash and a note of apology for making such cheap plastic junk in their car. (laughs) Now, it's not gonna happen. But, you know, that happened with Rolls Royce. And here's the thing, it's the same with our God. The excellence of Christ does not permit our flaws to be made known to the Father. So complete is his love and his compassion through his blood. Next, God not only crowns us, he satisfies us. He satisfies us. Look in verse five, if you would. It says, who satisfies your desires with good things. Now, I've got got a turkey right there uh, beside it. I think about Thanksgiving. Those are some good things. He satisfies our desires with good things. The question is, are you satisfied with God? Uh, It's a rhetorical question, but honestly, are we really satisfied with God? I saw a post just a day or two ago on Facebook. I think it was from one of the church members, and the post simply said, it was a meme that said, isn't it funny that right after the day where we thank God for what we have and show our contentment and thanksgiving to God we immediately on the very next day on Black Friday run over everybody to scramble to get the things that we want that we don't have. And it's funny, we have a a culture of dissatisfaction. I live my life in it and so do you. We live in a world where there are thousands and thousands and thousands of businesses trying to get our business. And so they'll say things like, satisfaction guaranteed. I don't know if that's really true or not, but they say it. Satisfaction guaranteed. That means if you're not satisfied for whatever reason, we'll make it right. We'll make it good. Satisfaction guaranteed. And listen, that is a hard promise to make and keep to Americans. If you don't believe me, just read some Google reviews. It doesn't matter what the product is. It could be the worst product in the world or the best. It could be a, 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 a flight, uh, an airline company, or a hotel, or something you buy on Amazon. I look at the reviews sometimes because I need to know if the product's any good, and sometimes I read them just for entertainment. Because some people are impossible to please. They just aren't satisfied. If you write negative review after negative review, and I, I don't, I'm not pointing any fingers, I hope you don't, but if you do, you just tend to really go to town on those negative reviews. You are a person who is hard to satisfy. I'm not talking about once in a great while. I don't leave negative reviews. I've seldom read, read reviews at all. But if I find a product that I really, really, there is a, a restaurant here in this area that was just awful. I mean, it was awful. They ignored me. When I walked in, I finally walked out after 15 or 20 minutes. No one even acknowledged that I was there. Man, all the way home, I thought, I can't wait to get home. I'm going to get on Google and just tear them apart. But God convicted me, as God does, and I didn't write a negative review. But we are hard to please. For us Americans, we are hard to please. We have difficulty being satisfied in anything. And then we come to our relationship with God. Are we really satisfied? And what he actually says, who satisfies us with what? Not just things, good things. Now, the word good is a, is a word that comes from God. It's about God. God only does what's good, and so whatever God has given you is good. In fact, every good thing that you have in your life is because of God. Even for the agnostics and the atheists, the Buddhists and the Muslims, every good thing they have in their life is because of God too. Because all good is because of God. If it weren't for God, there would be no good. So God satisfies us with good things, but sometimes we don't want good things. The turkey was good, but I wanted ice cream. (laughs) We, we We want more than just good things very often. So during this season, God has bestowed you with many wonderful blessings. Be satisfied. I mean, how much stuff do we have to have? How many good things does God have to put on us where we go, God, you know what, I'm good. It's enough. It's enough, thank you. My cup runneth over. More King James for you. (laughs) Psalm 23. And then lastly, God renews you. God renews you. Verse five again, let's go back to that. It says, who satisfies your desires with good things so that... And this is why he satisfies us with good things, so that your youth is renewed, amen? Like the eagles. Now you not say a young eagle or an old eagle, just any eagle is an eagle. <laughs> your youth is renewed like the eagles. Do you need to be renewed today? Do you need to regain your strength? I'm always entertained, and I mentioned this to the first service I threw Chris under the bus because it's a lot of fun. And uh, he's our associate pastor. Chris preaches once a month. And this last month, he mentioned again in his sermons, uh, one of his, uh, I'm getting old speeches. And uh, he's, he's in his early 30s. And I thought, how, how much pain can you be in? <laughs> now I know I'm, I'm, just, I'm just under 60, I'll be 60 in May. And, and for some of you, you're thinking, boy, I remember when I was 60, I was great, it was awesome. But uh, I I really am starting to feel the the years go by on my back in particular, but also my feet. Adults, do you remember a time when you were a teenager and you woke up and you felt pretty good? You had no headache? You you just got out of bed? And that first, so, so I walk like, again, I walk like a 90, my first two steps are like a 90 year old man. And then the next two are like an 80 year old man and a 70 year old man, I had to warm up. You know how it is, you, you start walking like this. Uh, I don't know, this doesn't really help, but that's how we do it. And then slowly we, we warm up. Well, I remember a day where there was none of that. Just got out of bed and just started walking. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's not what he's talking about here. So, <laughs> he is spiritually though. So no matter how much arthritis you have or how bad your back hurts right now, you can still have your youth renewed like the eagles. I've told you my mother in a wheelchair in her last days was one of the most energetic, powerful people I've ever met in my life. Do you need to be renewed? Do you need to regain your strength? Yesterday, it rained a little, and in Texas, it didn't take a whole lot. Even in November, things just turn greener again overnight. It's really remarkable. A little sunshine, a little rain, and here it comes. And it won't last. Of course, it's fall. Everything's going to, all the leaves are going to fall off the trees, but still nice to see after a rainy day. I love going to the Philippines because they get lots of rain. They get more rain in, in a month than we do in a year. It just rains and rains. And so everything is just so green. Now in Texas, especially if you leave Texas in August and go to the Philippines, it's just shocking the difference in how green it is because when it rains all the time, life is the result. You just see that growth and it's beautiful. It's green and plush and gorgeous. It's a renewing that takes place every time it rains reigns. And God says he renews us and our strength. A famous surgeon was seldom seen on the streets without a beautiful fresh rose on his lapel. This is back when they wore suits all the time, and he always had a a rose right there on his lapel every single day. And his friends thought, does he buy a new rose every day and put it on his lapel? Well, it turns out he didn't. And one of his friends was commenting on that one day and he turned his lapel over to the backside and there where the stem went through his lapel, there was a little glass vial that the stem was in and it was getting water and so it would stay beautiful day after day after day because it had a source that was continuing to feed it. And God is that source for us. Day after day, God renews and regains, helps us to regain our strength. Our lives draw from the great resources that God has. The water of life and his name is Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 40, you know I have to mention that. This is Isaiah speaking, and he says in chapter 40, verse 30, Even youth grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, just as David had said, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. He says, and I love how Psalm 103 says it. It specifically mentions youth and eagles. And here he mentions youth and eagles as well. But here Isaiah says, even youths get tired. Even though I remember the days of the youth when I was full of energy, even I got tired and you got tired when you were young. He says, however, even though everybody gets tired, he says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. He is the source of our strength. Abraham Lincoln, at the worst part of the Civil War, when victory seemed hopeless, he said, without Christ, I cannot succeed with Christ I cannot fail. By the way, God has a way of energizing us. So if you're sitting out there right now and you're feeling kind of tired, feeling kind of lethargic, you're yawning. (laughs) So yes, I've got good news for you. God has a way of re-energizing us. How is it? What does he do? How does he re-energize you? You know, God uses things in our life that we wouldn't expect to, to intervene. Have you heard about this, um, uh, it was called Gatorade, that was given to enlisted men in Florida in their training camp during World War II. The daily training for these GIs, these young men in training, was to uh, go through an obstacle course as fast as they could, and toward the conclusion of the obstacle course, they were to grab a rope and swing out over a uh, what we call a tank, a pond of water and, uh, and then finish the course. But it was Florida and they were hot and, and their drill sergeant noticed one day that day after day after day after it was hot, they would let go of the rope about the middle of the stream so they could fall in the water and cool off. Well, their times were terrible on the obstacle course. And so what the drill sergeant did was he went out and got an alligator and he put it in that pond. And so they could see that alligator down there. And he said, from then on, their times dramatically improved. They hung on for dear life with that rope until they were all the way across the pond. Well, sometimes God allows things in your life and my life so that we learn to depend upon him and we hang on. God has a way of renewing our strength in ways that we would not consider. God crowns us. He satisfies us. He renews us. And that is reason enough to be thankful today. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today with gratitude. Oh, you are a God who provides for all of our needs. We can count the ways. We can list the benefits as David did. That You're a God who forgives our sins first and foremost because none of those other things will really come to play without forgiveness. That's why your son died for us. And we get that. We understand that. That as long as there is unforgiveness in our heart and in our life, that we can't come to you and we don't confess our sins to you and we don't ask for forgiveness. And that dark stuff is between us and you. We can never move forward. So, Father, for those that are out here today in this place or watching online, And they've said things, thought things and done things they know dishonor you. There's sin in their life, unrepentant sin. And they know they need to deal with it. And we can't wipe it out, but you will. Your word tells us that you will forgive our sins and separate our sins as far as the East is from the West and you will remember them no more. We claim that promise today in the name of Jesus as we confess our sins to you. We need cleansing. We need this weight off of our neck that is our sin. Father, you're not only a God who forgives our sins, you heal our diseases. Ultimately, physically, spiritually, emotionally, we are in your hands. Not a single heartbeat goes by without your mercy and your goodness. The fact that we're here today, that we can listen to this, that we can see, that we can think, that we can experience life, that we woke up this morning, is your mercy and your goodness. Thank you. Not only do you forgive our sins and heal our diseases, Father, but you crown us with love and compassion. And you do that while you redeem us from the pit. We don't even understand that. But that redemption from darkness and from difficulty and from hurt and doubt and pain, not only is is it we're put on solid ground, but you bestow us with loving compassion, you crown us. We go from prisoners to kings in your presence. Thank you. Father, I know that there are people here today that need renewing. They're tired. They fought for so long, they're just tired of fighting. May this be the moment, the hour that you renew them, that you would give them the strength that they need. Help us to have that perspective that we can rely on you. Do not just get us through the day, but to thrive in this world, that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Right now, as you're praying, no one's looking around. Would you be willing to bless the Lord today with all your soul? Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, would you be willing to do that? Just spend some time in thanksgiving. God, thank you. God, thank you for that forgiveness. Thank you that you renew. Thank you that you restore. Thank you that you redeem my life from the pit. Thank you that you give me energy to get through the day. Thank you for all that I am and all that I have. God, I am satisfied. Thank you. Will you do that today? Some of you might want to come and kneel and say, God, thank you. In this time of Thanksgiving, God, thank you. You've given me enough. My cup overflows. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church, and you want to come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to serve here. We want to serve our God faithfully here. We want this to be our church home. Or maybe you want to give your life to Christ and experience the forgiveness that only he can give today. Just come down and say, Pastor, I want to get saved. I want to give my life to Jesus and I'll pray with you. Or you just want to come and kneel and pray. If God is speaking, this is your opportunity. He's giving you a chance right now. No one's looking around. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, would you stand? Everyone stand. As you continue to pray. As you stand right now, you come.